Again, there's so many people that do so much in this church, uh, from nursery to the office. Uh, please, when you know, let people know. Not next next week. We're going to end the series on the gospel of peace, but we're going to be sharing it. I mean, it's going to be part of part of our everything that we teach. It's part of. That's why we started with it, for you to understand what's the foundation of what we share and teach. And uh, the next the next week, the first week in February, we're going to be doing a series, most as of right now, on Thanksgiving. Being thankful. I tell you what, you want to do something that's going to change your life and the world you live in. It's real simple. And it's what's missing in the church, it's what's missing in the community, it's what's missing between husband and wife, children and fathers, you know, family. And it is the will of God. Have you ever asked what the will of God is? I hope you have. Because the will of God, the scripture says, give thanks in everything, for this is the will of God. If you don't know what to do, just do the will of God. Give thanks. I believe with all my heart that thanksgiving is the key that ushers you into the presence of God. I believe God hears prayers that start out with, thank you, God. We do a lot of whining and complaining in our prayers. We need to be thankful. Amen? Amen, amen and amen. All right. Uh, we're going to continue. Turn with me to the book of, book of Romans. Children, are, are, they, they've already left, right? They're out of here. Okay. That was sneaky. Leave the lights off. Book of Romans, chapter 10. Uh, we've been in a series. If I can find my glasses. Someone take my glasses. Greg, you got my glasses? Oh, those were mine. Oh. <laughs> we've been in a series since the 1st of January on, on, it's called The War is Over, subtitled, if you want to call it that, The Gospel of Peace. And what we need to understand is that, see, the, the reason there's so many denominations and so many different thought patterns and belief, belief systems, does everybody understand what I mean by belief system? Uh, because in this room, however many people are here or not here, there's probably that many different belief systems. You can take one first, ten people, and probably come up with ten different beliefs. And the way you understand the Bible and God's Word is dependent upon the filter or the basic understanding or philosophy of belief that you have. One of the things we're going to be getting to teach on, on Wednesday nights in February uh, it'll probably be set up a little different. It's not going to uh, be like a service. It's going to be more like a, a teaching. Uh, there'll be tables to sit at. You put your Bible at, maybe take some notes, uh, that kind of thing. But we're going to get into a lot of uh, spirit, soul, and body understanding of the area of the heart and dig into some, some things that really change our lives. But your belief system, see, your belief is established in your heart. 
problem is most people, they have intellect. They really don't have belief. They've made mental assent to Scripture. They agree with Scripture, and they can quote Scripture. But it's not a belief system. It's not a belief. Just because you quote it doesn't mean you believe it. Just because you say it doesn't mean you believe it. You know how you know when you believe something? The Scripture says if you believe, see, you have to believe in your heart. See, belief, the only place you believe is in your heart. And the Bible says if you believe in your heart, there will be fruit that manifests. So in other words, the life that you live right now is what you believe. Ooh. Wow. That's right. Scripture throughout Scripture, you know, tells us. But, you know, when it comes down to what you believe and how you understand the Scripture, comes down to that belief system. If, you're, if you have a wrong belief system, you can read the Bible and come up with all different kinds of stuff. All different kinds of theology, all different kinds of, of uh, Scripture and, and doctrine. You know, that there's some people that believe doctrine that's not even in the Word. You know, and we can, we, we can talk about those kinds of things. And Wednesday night is going to be time, it's, it's open, it's, it's, it's no holds barred. Uh, there's probably, hasn't been a question asked that, you know, we can't address. And if, if we can't address it, I know people that can. You know, we can find out the answers. Uh, but what I want to, reason I started with this series on the gospel of peace is I believe so strongly that the reason the angels came out of heaven, that God sent the angels to Mary, it's going to be the shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. After 400 silent years, they declared peace on earth. That there was going to be a different way of thinking. And all the scripture from that point on has to be taken and interpreted and understood from a filter or a gospel of peace instead of a gospel of law. You notice how the Pharisees used the same scripture as Jesus did? Jesus loved people with it. They killed people with it. There was a different filter. A different way of understanding the scripture. And so that's why I started in January, the first week in January, talking about the gospel of peace. Because I challenge all of us to take what we know about the scripture and run it through the filter of the gospel of peace. Because if it hasn't run through the gospel of peace, most Christians haven't even heard of the gospel of peace. And we're just going through reading some of the main verses concerning the gospel of peace. We've heard it mentioned, but we've never heard it taught on. That the war is over. That the war is over. So that's why we started with this. And uh, I believe God had a purpose for opening up the open up all of heaven and declaring to all people peace on earth and goodwill toward all men. Amen? All right. In Romans chapter 10, I think the first week we talked about uh, Isaiah 40 where it says, tell Israel, tell, tell God's people that the war is over. Shout from the mountaintop that the warfare has ended. Um, we went to Isaiah 54 uh, where it says that this is like the waters of Noah to me, that 
so, so he's never covered the earth with water again, so he will swear that his covenant of peace will remain. That's powerful. Matter of fact, uh, just keep your finger right there in Romans chapter 10. I'm going to turn there real quick and finish reading that. You need to see what it says here in, in, in Isaiah 54. In verse 10 it says, For mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. Down in verse 14 it says this, In righteousness you shall be established. So our establishment, what establishes the boundaries and the borders of our life is going to be based on righteousness. One of the things we need to understand about righteousness is righteousness is not moral or ethical behavior. Righteousness is right standing with God. And from that position, you produce fruits of righteousness. See, what you do is a fruit of something. What you do is a result of what you believe. If you're a nice person, see, the, the Bible even says this, out of a good, a good water, a good well is going to bring what? Good water. It's from who you are. It's from who you, how you see yourself. It's from how you believe, what you believe on the inside. You know, if you, be, if, if you believe that you're, if you believe that you have lack, you're always going to do something to go out and, with your own ability and satisfy that lack. But see, the scripture says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. Lack and want are the same thing. See, if you know that God is your shepherd, you shouldn't have a spirit of lack about you. You should know and have the mentality of abundance and prosperity. That God has given to you everything that pertains to life and godliness. But as long as you don't see the scriptures that way, if, you don't, if your belief system doesn't line up with that, the scriptures concerning abundant life and life, more abundant will just go right past because you don't believe. See, the scripture is full of things that people don't believe. But it, it manifests to those whom believe. You have to believe. Look what it says here. It says in verse 14, In righteousness you shall be established. Uh, you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear. Now, wait a minute. The shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over the flock, they were afraid. When the angel showed up to Mary, she was afraid. And it says here that you will be far from oppression because you won't fear anymore. If, you are, if your life is established in righteousness, you won't be oppressed anymore. You won't walk in fear anymore. Amen. See, people, I had a person come up to me and says, well, they were taught... taught as a young child, they should fear the Lord. Now that sounds good, doesn't it? But the scripture says, perfect love cast out all fear. Well, what do you mean? You should not have a fear. Now, there's a couple words for the word fear. One is fear, like be afraid. Another one meaning reverence in awe. You should not be afraid of God and of His judgment. See, most people are fearful of God because of what they've done in life. The war is over. 
The scripture says approach the throne of grace boldly in the time of need. When, when is the, it says approach the throne of grace boldly. Why do most people have trouble with worship? Because of what they've done in their life. They can't seem to get past. Well, if I get in, if I, he's going to strike me. He's going to hit me. Because we're used to parents that did that. If you were raised in a home where you did something wrong and your parents hit you. Now, my parents believe in spanking. Thanks. I believe in spanking. But not to produce a fear. When it's done out of fear and judgment, it produces separation. A person should never spank a child out of anger. Amen. Come here, I'm so mad at you. What did you just communicate? If you do something to make me mad, I hate you. It will produce pain. Come here, you did something wrong. Here's a consequence for it. And I love you. And so you're going to learn not to do it again. We told our children, we've never told them that they're bad kids for what they did. You're a bad boy for what you did. No, Chris, my son Christopher, he knows better than that. He did bad things, but it was never because of his nature. Well, I always told him he was, a good, he was a good boy that did a bad thing. Here's the consequence for what you did. See, there's consequences for sin. The wages of sin is what? Yeah. Go ahead, sin, be stupid. You're gonna, the, the scripture says this, that sin wars against your soul. It doesn't war against God. A lot of people think that your sin separates you from God. But why does the scripture say nothing? Nothing. Nothing. That's good. I could preach to you. Will separate you from the love of God. See, Sin doesn't separate God from you. It separates you from God. See, God has dealt with your sin problem. You haven't. See, God from all the heaven declared the war is over. Here's another, Here's another quote that you may be familiar with. Jesus on the cross at Calvary. The last words he speaks, it is You can't do more than what he did. It's done. Oh, come on. Verse 17, it says, No weapon formed against us will prosper, and every tongue which raises against you in judgment you shall condemn. You know, we quote that first part, but we don't quote the second part. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me, says the Lord God. So the righteousness that we walk in, the righteousness that we live in, is not according to righteousness and obedience of the law. It's righteousness according to God's righteousness, which was accomplished through Jesus Christ. It is His, I am the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus, not because of what I do, but because of what He's done. Amen? And from that spiritual position, then I learn, I disciple myself, I discipline myself with that acceptance and that reassurance that I can approach the throne of grace boldly in the time of need, that I can disciple or discipline myself in my Christian living. But your discipline or your discipleship, if you try to disciple and discipline yourself in your Christian living without an understanding of it's already done, see, remember... 
God doesn't do something, wait a minute, God doesn't do something there that he hasn't already done here. See, he's already satisfied the law for righteousness' sake in Christ, in the realm of the Spirit. And because of that truth, now our soul needs to be affected by it. That's the way God works. He works from the inside out, not the out. Religion works on the outside in. You can be discipled and disciplined all you want to, but if you're not righteous on the inside, it's just wood, hay, and stubble. It doesn't mean a hill of beans to God. Romans chapter 10, and we read this in the second week, talking about how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Well, Romans chapter 10 is about the salvation of Israel. Paul was saying that how he prayed, his prayer to God is that Israel would be saved. So Israel is not saved at this point. Israel loved God. Israel had the law. Israel did, had fear, but they didn't have knowledge of righteousness. They didn't have an awareness of the gospel of peace. And so that's why Paul said, he said, hey, how can they be saved unless a preacher preaches? And what's he supposed to preach? Verse 15, the gospel of peace. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Verse 17 says this. Say, it says, so then. See, one thing you understand about Scripture reading, when it says, so then, it means you can't just start there. You have to go up and find out what so then is talking about. What was it just talking about? The report. What was the report? The gospel of peace. But so then, faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. What's the Word of God? The war is over. And see, what you hear will generate faith in you. If you hear a bunch of law, you'll have faith in the law. See, every one of us in here has faith on something. Because you're living it. If you have faith for negative, see, fear is the confident expectation of a negative that hadn't shown up yet. If you're being moved in your soul, which is there are your emotions, if you're fearful, what you're saying is that I'm believing, I'm having a confident expectation of something negative that's going to happen in my life. Well, that's, that's, that's faith for... See, faith works even in the negative, just not the positive. Because your life is a life of faith, whether you like it or not. You get... You're affected by what you believe. Let me read this in Isaiah 55. You don't have to turn there. Just keep your finger there in Romans 10. Isaiah 55 says this. Ho! I like that. That's a big word. There's not me two-letter words in, in the Scripture. It says, Ho! Verse 1, Isaiah 55. Ho! Now, I've heard some people explain it, and I like the way they've explained it, that the word ho means a sudden a sudden, 
uh, how'd they say it? It just went past me, right? A sudden uh, expression. expression of a great anticipation. I mean, I don't know if you've ever noticed that sometimes it's, I mean, I, I just want to say, oh, it's like, it's just, it's just a, it's an exclamation that comes out. It's like, yeehaw, however you want to put it. Uh, it's like, woohoo, or ho, you know, it's like, it's just, a, it's like, I'm fixing to say something good. Ho, you know, listen, ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the water. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come uh, buy wine and milk without money and without price. See, how can you do that? See, in today's world, you've got to have the money to buy the stuff. But see, in God's kingdom, it's just the opposite. You can have the stuff without the money. It's already yours in the realm of the Spirit. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. And see, that's the only way you're really going to be a giver. See, as long as you know that you have a lack, you'll never concern yourself with someone else. As long as you're trying to take care of yourself, you'll never take care of somebody else. It's only when you know that you know that you know that you're taken care of. It's when you reach out and take care of others. That's why the scripture says the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not so we can take care of others. See, if you're still trying to get loved in life, that means you don't feel loved in life. And everything that you do is so you can get loved. The reason you give Christmas presents at Christmas is so you can get one back. The reason you hold someone's hand is so they'll hold your hand back. You're really not holding their hand for them. You're holding their hand for you. Mm. You don't want me to sing that song, do you? <laughs> Looking for love in all the wrong place. <laughs> It wouldn't be prophetic. <laughs> Pathetic is more like it. <laughs> Verse 2, it says this, down in the second part, it says, And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear, listen to this, Incline your ear and come to me here, and your soul shall live. Wow. Hear what? The gospel of peace. The more you hear about the gospel of peace, the more you understand about the gospel of peace and the covenant of peace, your soul is going to begin to live. It's begin to generate excitement energy because you already believe it. And it's going to cast out the fear in your life, the fear of lack. Pretty soon you're going to be understanding that God really is my shepherd. He really has already done everything. See, as long as you're still trying to get God to do something for you, you don't believe He's already done everything for you. You understand what I'm saying? A lot of people in church spend all their time trying to get God to do something, listen, that He's already done. Oh, God, I just wish you'd bless me. 
he already has. Amen. Christianity is not a self-improvement program. There's lots of self-improvement programs out there. It's about you getting over yourself and getting on with God and caring for other people. See, Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. See, the only way for you to love one another is by understanding how much he loves us. He went on to say, and I have loved you as God has loved me. See how it works? Jesus was able to give his life to us because he understood that God had already accepted and approved him. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And see, once we know who we are in Christ, then we can really give of ourselves. You know, once you know who you are in Christ, and we're going, on Wednesday nights we're going to talk about this much more in detail. I want to encourage you, it will change your life. It will radically affect your belief system. I have not met anybody that was not affected to the positive to what we're going to teach on Wednesday nights. If you can't come on Wednesday night, I'm going to do a little commercial right here. I didn't come to Durant, Oklahoma, to River of Life Church for the wonderful package so I could just live life and retire in a quiet community and go gambling. <laughs> I'm here. If you can't come, well, I just can't come on Wednesday night. Guess what? Call me. I will come to you on Thursday night. I'll come to you on Monday night. Tuesday. I might be busy on Wednesday. I'll come to you Wednesday afternoon. Lunch, breakfast. <laughs> it doesn't have to be around dinner, though, or one of the meals. If you just want to get a couple ladies over to your house and want a Bible study, ask. I mean, I'm not a lady, but you know what I'm saying? I'll, I'll come and join you if you'd like me to be there. There's nothing like sitting around a kitchen table, a cup of coffee, talking about the gospel. Please, abuse me. Have you heard that from ministers before? Monday is not a sacred day off for me. <laughs> What's up with that? A day off. What, from doing what you're called to do? <sighs> I'm sorry. I'll go on. Did I make that loud enough clear? Call me. I get up early. Probably earlier than most of you. Right, Greg? Oh, sorry. So then, verse 17, it says, So then, faith comes by hearing. See, the faith that you're going to have in your life, the faith that you need to affect you is going to come from you hearing about how good God is. Not about how bad you are. How many people know how bad you are? Raise your hand. We're going to change that because you're not bad at all. You may be caught up in doing some bad things, but that's because... See, what's the most natural thing for a sinner to do? 
Oh, that was deep. The scripture says, so a man thinks in his so the reason it's so easy for us to sin, we still see ourselves as sinners. Because you don't believe that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Oh. What's the most natural thing for a righteous person to do? Be righteous. Oh, come on. See, if you see yourself as a sinner, you're struggling with sin. If you see yourself as a righteous person full of the power of God, you just might reach out and touch somebody. If you know that you're loved unconditionally by God, you're not going to worry about being offended. People that get offended are people who don't understand who they are in Christ. You're supposed to be dead in the first place. Who is there to offend? Ooh, we're meddling now. I didn't even say that to a guest. Usually you have the guest speaker come in and say that kind of stuff. Guest speaker always comes on and talks about the negative stuff and tithing and all this kind of stuff. Because that way pastors stay safe. <laughs> I said it, not me. We know perfect love cast out all fear. I want you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians chapter 6 says this. Now the book of Ephesians is a wonderful book. It's probably my most favorite book in the Bible. Uh, it is, it is uh, that's probably the 1,232nd time I've said that. Uh, the book of Ephesians, real simply, if you look at chapters 1, 2, and 3, there's a key phrase. It's broken up in three parts. The first part is chapters 1, 2, and 3. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, there's a key phrase, and that key phrase is sit, or seated in Christ. And the reason it said, see, in the middle, the chapters 4 through half of 5 talks about walking. The key phrase is walking. And the last section is chapter 6, half of chapter 6, excuse me, uh, the middle section is from 4 to the middle of 6. Six, middle of 6 down is the, where it talks about standing, where it talks about standing against principalities and powers. Okay? But before it tells us how to stand against what we're going to read here in a second, before it tells us this, it tells us how to walk out our Christianity, how to be a good husband, good wife, good employer. It talks about how to be a good slave. I won't go there right now. We'll leave that one alone. But before it tells us how to be a good husband, good wife, good deacon, good elder, and all this kind of stuff, it tells us how to be seated in Christ. See, right now, to give you an idea of what this is talking about, every one of you is seated in a chair. Kim, you're totally dependent upon the structure, the form, and the shape, the engineering, and the makeup, the design, the cushions, thank God for cushions. And y'all should have got thinner chairs because these are three-hour cushions. You know what I'm saying? The thinner the cushion, the shorter the preaching. But you're totally dependent on the structure. Every one of you are totally dependent upon the structure. That's why before it tells us how to stand against principalities and powers, 
before it tells us how to be a good husband, good wife, it wants you to know that you're totally de you, should, you should be totally dependent upon the structure. Actually, it says it this way. Before you can be a good husband or good wife, before you can be a good employer, before you can walk out your Christianity, before you can stand against principalities and powers, and when you've done all you can do, stand, you have to know what you're seated in. In Christ, in heavenly places, far above principalities and powers. It's already over. The war is over. It's finished. It's complete. See, when was Jesus slain? Jesus was crucified here, but he was slain before the foundations of the... God doesn't do something there that he first hasn't already done here. The victory that you need in your life, seated in heavenly places far above principalities and powers, was done before you even showed up. And once you believe, you are, see, that's what, see, being born again, see, we think it's just an event. Your nature was changed. You, that's what baptism, baptism is, sometimes it's just a form of religion. But if it's done in faith, it can really impact your life. Baptism is a sign of you dying. It's you dying, going into the water, and being resurrected in new life. Now, we say that, but we don't understand what it means. That means your sinner nature has died. And you come up from the water birthed in Christ Jesus. You're no longer a sinner, but now you're a saint. So that's why sinning is not so comfortable anymore. There was a time when sinning was pretty darn comfortable. <laughs> well, hopefully it's, it's not comfortable. <laughs> I'm making an assumption there. It shouldn't be comfortable. If it's comfortable, your soul has already started dying. It wars against your soul. It's affecting you more than it's affecting anybody else. It's tearing you up. It's wearing you out. It's taking the life of God that God put in there and it's making it dimmer. So the first part of the book of Ephesians talks about who you are in Christ, being seated in Christ. Then it talks about walking out your Christianity. Now we get into chapter 6, in the middle here, where it talks about putting on the full armor of God. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. How are you going to be strong and in the power? How many people would like to be strong and in the power of His might? Not yours. Remember, it's not your ability. It's... See, grace is God's ability in our inability. In our inability to be strong, He has given us grace, His ability. So, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And this is how you do that. You put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood and against principalities and powers against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in, uh, in the heavenly places. For take up, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Now, we're not going to do a teaching this morning in the short amount of time that we have on the whole armor of God. But we are going to talk about a few of them. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to do, stand. 
So in other words, when you've done all that there is there for you to do, stand. Now, that word stand doesn't mean stand there and get beat upon. It means to aggressively pursue. See, when it says, done all you can do, and what is it there for you to do? What is there for you to do is to repent. The word repent means to change the way you think. Jesus told the children of Israel, the most godly people on the planet, to repent. He wasn't telling them to stop their evil living. You ever think about that? He was saying, there's a kingdom coming. And in that kingdom, you've got to think different than what you're thinking now. You can't relate to God through your works. You can only relate to God through His Son. So you've got a choice in life. Works or Jesus. Righteousness by obedience, which there's no such thing, or righteousness through Jesus Christ. Jesus said if you choose this one, you've got to obey all of them. And you can't. Whoa. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to do, stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Now, see, what we need to understand about truth is this, is that in the Old Covenant, there was truth. In the New Covenant, there is truth. They are not the same truth. That's why the scripture says, rightly, the word of, you just said it, I didn't. There must be something to divide. There must be a difference between truth and truth. Well, the Bible says this. Is it according to truth of the new covenant? You've got to take everything in the Old Covenant, pass it through the cross. The blood of Jesus touches everything. Oh, Calvary. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Touches everything. If you try to appropriate truth of the Old Covenant in the New Covenant, you'll bring the law into liberty. And it will manifest. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And the scripture says the leaven is the law. You know what gives strength to sin in your life? It's not the billboards, the TV. What gives strength to you, sin in your life, the scripture says, is the law. It gives power to sin. The more law you live under, the harder it will be for you not to sin. That's what the Bible says. I'm going to share a story with you that I know to be personally and true. I was there. I don't know how much more personally and true that you can get than that. 1990, Minneapolis, Minnesota. One of the largest hotels downtown Minneapolis. I, I happened to be uh, assistant pastor to a, uh, of a church there. And it was our responsibility. We were, I was dean of a Bible school, assistant pastor of a church there. And... One of the things for our, our, our adult class, our adult students to do to pass their course 
and get a certificate was to participate in an overseas crusade and two in-state uh, in crusades. And so one of the crusades that we did was uh, in 1990, downtown Minneapolis, and we were supporting a ministry. I don't know if you ever heard of Robert Slairdon. Does anybody go back in history? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, Robert Slairdon. We were his church, his covering. Not that that means anything, but yeah. And uh, he was doing a five-state regional crusade. Uh, people that were there were Norval Hayes. I don't know if you've heard of Norval Hayes before. That's the type of caliber, Rick Godwin. That, those are some of the caliber of people that we were hosting. And uh, it was my job being the dean of the Bible school, the assistant pastor of the church, to make it all happen. I didn't get the glory. I just got the responsibility. And, uh, but it was no big deal. It was, it, that wasn't the issue. But the thing that was really great about this is that one of the people that was there I'd never met before, and uh, he, was a, he was one of the guest speakers. He was a friend of Norval Hayes. I'm not going to mention his name uh, just in case. Anyway, and there was a lot of deliverance that came with this ministry with Robert Slairdon and, and some of the other people that were there in the church I was involved with was really strong in deliverance ministry. And there was a person that, was come, that had come up for ministry and for deliverance, and as people would walk up to him to minister deliverance to him, he would call out their sin. And before the people even got close enough to touch him, they'd turn around and go back in shame. Someone else would come up to minister deliverance. He'd call out their sin. Word of knowledge. They'd turn around and sit down in shame. This friend of mine spent 15 years as a homosexual. Not really of choice, but he was abused as a child by his father and friends. Spent years in a mental institution. Every other day of his life while he was there, he was going through shock treatments. They'd find him curled up in a ball in the shower, naked, scared of being scared, in total fear, until he found the unconditional love of Jesus. And it cast out all. And this friend of mine began to walk up to this person and begin to call out his sin. Now this person now is a absolute close dear friend of mine. So I know these things are true. As he approached the man in the front, the man started calling out his sin. And he kept walking, got closer and closer. The person kept calling it out. He stood there, laid his hand on the man and said, in the name of Jesus, loose him and let him go. The man collapsed. See, your authority is not based on your obedience. It's based on the name of Jesus and the spiritual truth that you walk in every day. 
when you allow what you do to affect your authority, all Satan's got to do is bring up your past and you're whipped. All the demon did was bring up my friend's past. Paul said this one thing I do. I forget my past and press on to the mark of the prize of the high calling. Mm. Church, when you walked in, everything that from that door, everything from two seconds ago is your past. <coughs> you are a child of God, the righteous to God in Christ Jesus. That's why it's not my job to remind you of your past. It's to remind you of your future. That's what's going to change your life. Let's see how it works. It's real simple. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, uh, able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. We talked about that. We won't get into what the truth is, but guess what? The truth will set you free. If the truth that you've been reading in the old covenant doesn't set you free... It's not the truth of the new covenant. The new covenant truth will set you free. You know, I, I love doing this. People say all the time, oh, the truth will set me free. Yeah, truth will set you free. From what? They can't answer. I'll give you a hint. From you. The truth will set you free from you. The gospel is not about you. It's about Jesus. That's the good news. See, the old covenant, the gospel, is about your obedience to God. The new covenant is, it's about Jesus' obedience to God. Hallelujah. That's the good news. It's not, see, God made between two immutable things, made a covenant between Him and Himself. You didn't have anything to do with it. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of... Whose righteousness? God's, not yours. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of... Oh, come on, church. Come on. Can you get any clearer than this? Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. We've talked a little bit about the gospel, but the word preparation is key here. The word preparation literally in the Greek means to have your mind fixed to have so much study that your mind is now fixed on. So your feet shod with it. See, what's it mean, your, your feet? See, it doesn't matter what sword you're holding. Jacob, can I use you again? Come on, man, you're, you're good for this. Come on, I, I don't see a shy bone in your body. Yeah, I want you to hold a sword like, not, I'm not going to touch you this time, I'm going to take you down. But I want you to stand like, like you got this sword and you're going to just kill something with the sword, right? Yeah, there you go. Now, now see, he, he, he can do it. Now, get, if, you're, if you didn't have no feet and you're laying on the ground, get on the ground. I didn't want to do this. I ripped my pants. Now, get that sword and try to kill something. Now, that's threatening right there. I'll tell you right now, I'm scared. You know what I'm saying? That's good. Come on up. So, so if you can't stand, if you don't have a foundation, if you don't have a platform to, to, to use your shield, to use your truth, listen, all you have to do is throw glass 
on the ground are Texas. Uh, I'm sure you have them here too. They probably cross the Red River. Horn, horn thistles. You know the the, the horn head stickers. And banging, you know, you walk on, you got like owl. I mean, Wichita Falls had them. I know you got them here. Unless that's just a curse of Wichita Falls. Maybe just a curse. I don't know. <laughs> All you got to do is take someone's feet out, and they can't do nothing. It don't matter what they're dressed with. It don't matter what they have for weapons. You take them out with their feet, it's over. You got them. See, that's what it's talking about. Have you, but, but that preparation is in your mind. That's why it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? Oh, we need to get our mind renewed to the truth of the gospel of peace. Because then we hold up the shield of faith. Faith in what? Christ's righteousness, not yours. The sword of the Spirit. Oh, church. Next week, we have one more week on the gospel of peace. We're going to talk about hope. We're going to talk about hope. Pastor Noah had a message two weeks, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, on hope. You can't talk about hope enough. Hope is the confident expectation of good things to come. That's what the definition of hope is. Hope is the confident expectation of good things to come. Fear is the confident expectation of bad things to come. It's your choice. You will either have fear or hope. Hope is the substance of things, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Fear or faith, your chick, pick it. You can either have a confident expectation of the negative or you can have a confident expectation of good things to come. Good things come from the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace comes from the covenant of peace. God made a covenant, projected it, made it a gospel so we could have life and life more abundant. Jesus said, my peace that he had with God, I leave with you. My peace I give you. Oh, come on, church. Let's stand up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Did you receive the word this morning? I really hope it changes your life. I really, please. And I was serious about having me come to your house. If you, if you don't want me to come to your house, you come to my house. We'll meet over at uh, Watson Burger. We'll let everybody else hear what we're talking about. Okay? Uh, please, please don't... Get, get, get me in my resume. I'm not normal. Don't put me in a box. Please, don't put me in your box. I don't fit. I will hurt your box. Not on purpose. But it's just we got, I was accused of being a bull in a china shop. I said, why are you China? You just look at China. How many people really ever use China? We're supposed to be corningware. I happen to say that too, so I wasn't real gentle. But anyway, don't put me in your box. I'll come in your box and help you stretch the walls a little bit. But don't limit me to Wednesday and Sunday, please. I will be bored. Call me. Call me. Joy and I are here for you. We have moved for you. Please, hear what I'm saying. Moving has been a horrendous nightmare for me. It really has. This last week was a 
probably top three worst weeks in my life. But you're worth it. Use us. Please. You can't take more out of us than what we have because we're tapped in to the one that's got it all. Amen? If you need ministry of any kind this morning, we're here for you. During the week, we're here for you. You don't have to wait till now. Call us on Monday. Call us on Tuesday. 936-232-0700. 936-232-0700. Write it down. I'm not hiding. In the summer, no, no, we'll go there. If you need ministry of any kind, we want to pray for you this morning. I know some have already left to go take care of the, the soup. Please don't forget that. Bring all your money. That's what it's all about after church. It's all about fellowship, friendship, and uh, Joy, come up here. I just let you know that I didn't individually do it, but we did plan it ahead. Purple <laughs> and gold. That lets you know our allegiance for all you Cowboy fans. I'm just letting you know where I come from. Now, I'm from Wichita Falls, Texas, but my mom was, was from Minnesota. So I'm just saying, if y'all want a little inner church rivalry, come on. If you need ministry, please, please, we want to minister to you. If you need to leave to help get that going, please feel free to go. Let's worship. Father, I thank you for this opportunity you've given us this morning to deliver your word. May this word leave this place this morning. May we take your word out and share it. May we get, begin to talk about your goodness and your greatness in all that you've done for us. So it will build us up and cause us to love others more than ourselves. All God's people said, Amen. Please, ministry. Go ahead, sing. So. Who is our God? Sing with me how great is our God. Oh, how great is our God. Come on now. Oh, good. Come on. Let me just pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, your kingdom. Your kingdom right now. I declare this foot part of the kingdom. Every joint, every cell, every ligament, every muscle, every tendon, every bone. In Jesus' name. Come in line with God's word right now.